Welcome to the Where Humanity Meets Technology podcast, where we talk to business leaders about cybersecurity, data management, and advanced digital solutions to provide strategies to increase the profitability of your company. Now, here's your host, Maurice Hamilton, the CEO of Infinivate Consulting Services. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Infinivate podcast here, where I interview founders, CEOs, CIOs, CTOs, and business leaders to discuss real-life solutions of humanity utilizing technology for the betterment of their organizations and for the betterment of mankind. My topics vary from data management, cybersecurity, custom software development, and digital solutions. Uh, We also discuss trends in technology, such as the use of artificial intelligence, robotics, decentralized finances, cryptography, and blockchain. My name is, again, it's Maurice Hamilton. I have over four decades of experience in the IT industry, and I believe infinite innovation. And when I say, trust me, that I've seen many changes over the years, I've seen many changes over the years. And today's episode, we're going to spend some time speaking with Matthew Storr. He is the Chief Information Officer for Sabo Capital Partners. Matthew has a background in aerospace engineering, and he actually has many, many great possessions in his career. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And he's worked with some of the largest management consulting firms in the industry. Without further ado, let's dive into today's podcast. And Matthew, I'm very honored to have you as a guest today. And welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Maurice. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm excited to talk to you about different things in the industry today. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Really happy to have you here. So my first question is something what I call a genesis question, which means we're going to go back to the beginning. And I want to know, how did you actually migrate from aerospace into information technology? Yeah, so it's an interesting story. Um, obviously, when you're younger, you, you know, I was always enthralled with the space program. That's why I was super disappointed in the latest NASA failure to launch their rocket. <laughs> Still hopeful that it'll go on Saturday morning as planned. But obviously, I you know I, I grew up in the in the information in the uh, space age where we were chasing you know rockets and things were great in the space and getting space stations up and stuff. So obviously, got very interested in aerospace engineering early and went to Arizona State University for that. But kind of was also interested in the military. Um, had a brother that was in the military. My father had been in the military at the time. Um, so I. Uh, I exited out and, and kind of took a foray into the uh, into the United States Navy and spent um, six years there on a guided missile fast frigate, um, floating the world seas and, and protecting our country. And got into you know, boy, that's a whole nother discussion someday. <laughs> we can talk about the military, but it was really good for me. Um, and when I got out, the natural progression um, while I was in the military, I worked on uh, weapon systems. So the natural progression for me um, when I got out was to continue along that line. So I took a job. Uh, as a technical contractor up at the Naval Ship Weapons Engineering Station in Port Wainimi, California, where uh, I worked with the fleet to identify issues, report those to the Pentagon, and then work with their engineers to design uh, resolutions to those issues, either in the ships themselves uh, or in their engineering plants, weapon systems, combat systems, that sort of thing. And then I would make presentations to the Pentagon to try to get money to, to solve those issues. And so to do that, believe it or not, um, back then, you know, we had to build databases to track it all. And we had to build presentations. So I built a database early on that would feed all the data that we were collecting from the fleet and generate automatically the presentations at that time with Harvard Graphics, for those of you who can remember that, that would generate Harvard Graphics presentations that they would take to the Pentagon. So it kind of started the foray into technology. And so I built up a a bunch of different uh, business products within that environment, um, helping the military and helping the government kind of analyze those fleet issues and and move forward. So 
it just started and, and I started getting into development. And the more I got into the whole development cycle and understanding technology, the more I just got enthralled with it. And it, and it didn't hurt at the time that aerospace, I think everybody remembers in the 80s, took a dive <laughs> and all those engineers were looking for work. So yeah, it, didn't, it wasn't a hard choice, I guess, to exit. I still miss aerospace. I, I love uh, rockets and planes. I'm a private pilot as well. But yeah, I, I can't say that the career choice was uh, incorrect. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. I actually started my career actually as a software developer with uh, COBOL, JCL, Assembler. <laughs> That's Maybe right. I remember well. Okay. So I, I saw on your website that Regions Bank uh, completed an acquisition for, for you guys uh, late last year. Was that acquisition to actually give the bank a deeper uh, penetration to commercial lending? Can you actually give me or give us my audience a little bit uh, more insight as to uh, how that acquisition came apart and, and uh, what is the, uh, the strategy behind it? Yes, absolutely. Um, great question. And I'll, I'll take you back a little bit further. So I joined the Ball Capital about eight years ago now, uh, originally came in, met the uh, original founder, uh, Pat Jackson, and he had a vision for automating the commercial real estate lending industry. And his focus was really on making it easier for customers to do business with the firm. And, and historically in the industry, and if you look back at my resume, I've been in a lot of struggling industries, specifically real estate. They always seem to be behind um, you know, on technology groups. So when I came into lending, which was one of the few areas in real estate I hadn't you know, originally been part of, um, he asked me to come in and take a look at his idea. And I did. And what I found was it wasn't just the interaction with the customers um, and making it easier for them. The business as a whole in the real estate lending industry was very paper driven, very manual process driven. So I came in for a couple of weeks to a short contracting engagement with uh, with this firm to kind of design how I would go about building you know, a world-class real estate lending firm. Um, utilizing technology as a background. And, and Pat had great vision for that. So we hooked up, I presented that plan. Um, he asked me to come on board. And, and so we created that platform. And it was a platform that was, you know, at the time unique and it's a full origination from beginning to end. So Sabal, from the first time you talk to a customer all the way to securitizing the loan product that we actually funded um, was all done within our platform we call Snap. And so as that um, grew, we added products, we added investment management, um, we've got, uh, we managed to get agency licenses from Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. And so we built up that platform until about three years ago, um, we were acquired by uh, a venture capital firm um, from back east, um, who saw the vision in the platform and saw the company as, as we were growing it and all the products we had. And so, of course, they, they ran us and invested for the next three years, building us up again. And like all good venture capitalists, Right. They said, OK, we've gotten what we needed and it's time to um, send you on your way and, and send you the next level. Um, and we had been approached by regions at the time um, who exactly what you said. They they had a similar platform growing in their bank under their capital markets group. So they had some agency licensing. They, they had some success in different products. And so when we kind of met up, it was very interesting, the synergy, because they had products we didn't have. We had products they didn't have. And in the today's world, it's hard to get those products, especially off the ground. So the synergies between the two groups were, were amazing. It was just like it was almost meant to be like two puzzle pieces fitting together. Um, and so the visionaries got us together. And on top of that, um, they really were interested in the SNAP platform. Again, it was a very nice way for them to acquire the technology to allow them to accelerate their growth as well as ours. And so it just made perfect sense. And so um, they acquired us as of December 1st of last year. 
And I've been working within that group to um, continue to expand the platform and build it out across across the enterprise. So it's been exciting. Excellent. And, and what what does SNAP stand for? I may have missed it. I was trying to see. What does it stand for? <laughs> Boy, I hate saying that because um, it was actually named uh, a little bit prior to my time and they wouldn't let me change it. But it stands for Secure Next Gen Application Process. Again, back to the roots of it was really supposed to be more of a, a customer portal than a business transformation product. Mm-hmm. And I always laugh at anything named next gen, right? Because, well, then what's the one after that? Next next gen or next next gen, gen? Or, mm-hmm. So I, I laugh. But um, SNAP made sense because it, the idea was it's easy to do business with us, right? You can get a loan done in a SNAP. And um, we've funded loans in, a, in an industry that historically takes 90 days, 70 to 90 days, we funded loans in as little as 26. So, you know, the platform really showed its value as we kind of continued to grow it through our customer base. Okay. And, and, I, and I've looked at your information, your background here. You have many years leading organization as a CIO. And, uh, and I know that being a CIO, there are a lot of moving parts. You have to worry about the, uh, the infrastructure. You have to worry about applications. You have to worry about security. There are a lot of moving parts to go along with that. Can you actually uh, a picture for our audience as to how your role, uh, Sabo, looks as the, uh, as the CIO? Yeah, so it's an interesting thing. And um, my title kind of is variable, <laughs> I guess I'd say. So Historically, I think you know, and your audience probably knows that there, there's, you know, there's VPs of ITs, there's CIOs, CTOs. You tend to have a blur of titles these days, right? But historically, you know, a CIO tends to be more inwardly focused, meaning they generally tend to work with the COOs and the CFOs um, more around efficiency and process and improving the expense uh, posture of the company and things like that, improving operations, right? Whereas a CTO generally, by definition, is someone that's working more on the sales and revenue generation side, more innovative, right? That sort of thing. So, you know, obviously, if you look at my role across multiple companies, I always come in as a CIO and I always end up somehow being the CTO because I've got a long track record of trying to transform not just the company I'm in, but the industry, right? So I've done some unique things in parking. I've done some things in retail. I've done some things now, obviously, in lending always with an eye of trying to improve the industry as a whole. Obviously, my company's got a benefit. Um, that's, that's what puts us in business, and that's what you know, pays the bills. But the reality is it's always trying to improve the industry. So for me, you know, when I came into Sabal, there were, there were kind of two sides. There was a side of improving the operations of the company and making sure the cost stays low. And at the same time, the CTO had building SNAP and building an innovative product that allowed us to grow. So kind of how I would show that um, at the Sabal, at my time in Sabal is, you know, I built Snap, an industry leading product at the time, which um, many companies offered to uh, license it from us, for example, um, that was really driving revenue. So if you think about when I came into the company, we were doing zero lending and we've lent over $6 billion. We have a $6 billion service book today, right? All running through Snap. And to get $6 billion, we looked at 10% of the loans we look at are what we actually fund, right? That's what really kind of the, the way it works on those products. So, you know, we looked at, you know, $60 billion going through the platform, really, right? That, that's what you're looking at. At the same time, the company grew, but the company doing, you know, all of that analysis and lending is still only around 160 people, right? So we were able to use the technology platform not only to innovate, and grow that business and help transform the industry. And I can tell you, there's a lot of competitors out there from SNAP today, all doing different pieces, 
selling their products. And some of them are outstanding. They are definitely really good. Ours is still, I believe, the only one that's end to end, right? Really looking at the entire solution at once. But while we did that, we also kept the expenses in a, in a, in a very tight way. And the way we did that, bringing it back to some of the things you like to talk about is the idea behind Snap was the, it was business automation and process automation to the extent where we don't have resources and very talented people doing menial work, like moving paper files or extracting data from a document or, right? We've allowed those people to utilize their talents to do what they're supposed to, which is analyze the data to make the right decision for our customers, right? So they're spent doing the time that they're educated to do and they're paid to do and they really want to do versus all the kind of busy work, right? And I, and I, I've coined the term and, and they, they're used to it in my company. I kind of hate it now. They, they never let me forget it, but it's like, Snap's there to eliminate the stupid work, right? We, we don't want anybody doing anything that just doesn't make any sense. So we continue to look at the process. And if there's anywhere we can make the process better and free that resource up to do more innovative or analytical work, that's where we focus. And we've, we've been relentless in our pursuit of that. Okay. So you mentioned, I, I heard the number 160. So you have 160 people. Are those under your umbrella? Are those uh, developers? that actually go back and do the patchwork and do the autom- automation? Is that how that actually works for you guys? And and are those individuals here in, in the, the country, are they nearshore, are they offshore? So the 160 is the total complement of the entire company. That includes production salespeople, underwriters, closers, legal, right? HR, all of that, right? Before we were acquired by regions, which now of course we're getting integrated into the region's family, so things are changing. Um, and the scope is growing, obviously. But on the IT team, you know, we've had offshore resources um, help us at times. But really, I built most of the SNAP platform with myself and four key people, four key, um, three developers and a, and a business analyst. That was really the core team that built SNAP. Um, and then we brought in offshore resources. So today we have um, one small offshore resource team in India with a project manager, three developers, and a, and a business analyst is what we're, we have helping us today as we continue to expand the platform. Um, and then, of course, with regions expanding the platform and their desire to include their products and things, we've added um, four more people to my team. So my team has doubled um, on staff, and we're spread throughout the country. Um, you know, we've adopted the new, let's get the best people regardless of the location. Um, and, you know, we can talk again for hours about the benefits of being in the office versus being remote. Mm-hmm. And I've got feelings on both and I wish I could do both. <laughs> right. But, you know, in the technology world, if you've got a good solid team and good solid project management and solid roadmap and goals, um, it works really well. And so I meet with my team daily, both the offshore team and the, uh, the people that work for me, we meet daily and, of course, multiple times a day, depending on what the issues might be. Um, so we've got good communication. We use uh, video conferencing religiously. You know, we're, we're very tight uh, team on that. So that's what I've had. And so it ends up being three developers today, or I guess if we take the offshore team. I've got six developers, a project manager, and I think about it. So we've added a couple of things we didn't have. So I've got eight full-time folks, four Six of those are developers, or five of those are developers. Two are um, QA engineers to help automate the process, and then uh, one business analyst. And then offshore, like I said, we have one QA and three full-time developers, all at stack augmentation. So they're they're full-time on our project today. That sounds excellent. <laughs> it sounds like you mentioned that you have business intelligence actually incorporated into that as well. So it looks like you've actually built the uh, the business intelligence for your your dashboards and for the, to analyze that data that you guys are collecting. Okay. 
Yeah, we have. And um, we use a bunch of different tools for that. Um, namely, one of them is Tableau. I think most of your audience will be familiar with that. I'm a big fan of Tableau. I think it does a, a great job on that. And uh, yeah, it's allowed me specifically. So you, you kind of talked a little bit before about roles. And so my role partnered up with Pat Jackson, the CIO, or the CEO at the time, um, and now with the, the regions management, is to really use the data to show where um, we should be focused. Right. So some of that data helped me decide what products we should go after, um, especially with the agencies. Um, some of it showed where maybe we should put more marketing effort or, um, you know, hire new people um, in the sales regions to, to focus on that. For example, some of it was we figured out some of the salespeople in the East Coast had a bunch of customers in the West Coast. Right. And so you get enough touch points. Right. Are we communicating with those customers enough? Right. We've really focused on. Um, true analytical um, data that really helps us run the business. And then on the other side, of course, we've put more and more energy around, again, the automation of the underwriting so that the underwriters can really make informed decisions. So bringing in crime data or uh, industry market data to help them make a decision around um, you know, how much to lend and when to lend, um, all that is part of the platform as well. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty impressive. And I was going to ask you the question about having something that's disruptive because it seems like the technology, and you, you mentioned the $6 billion a book of business that you actually have out there, but the technology is really the core, you know, and then the, 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 the other product that you actually have out there is, is the, the commercial lending. And if I'm looking at it from a different perspective, uh, that technology is really driving everything forward. Are you looking at anything in the future, such as like blockchain or anything in that capacity as being something to add on to your portfolio in the future or anything like that? So I, I continue to look at those trends. I think, um, you know, blockchain is still, a, you know, an interesting tool. The technology behind it, it's, it's a little like Snapchat, right? Um, Snapchat took off because it was this great social media communication platform, but that wasn't really the power of Snapchat, right? It was their network and the way they managed the back end, right? That that was the real win there. And I think blockchain's the same way. I'm very interested in blockchain from the back end network security, right? The infrastructure behind it more than I am about using it for monetary, you know, vehicles or things like that. So we continue to look at that. I think that's you know a little bit out there for us yet, um, especially on the commercial side. I know you know it's kind of making an inroad in, in some areas and there's several real estate companies trying to utilize it and, and push it forward. You know, I've got some acquaintances and, and peers in that, those areas trying to do that. But I think it's a little out there for us yet. We still have a lot of work to do, what, you know, with what we're doing and obviously with uh, regions. So we're excited to stay here. So we'll keep looking at those trends. And, you know, when they make sense for us, we would we would probably explore those a little deeper. Okay. And I always ask when I speak with a, uh, a CIO or, or CTOs and CEOs of organization, I always ask that one question. So what is that one aspect that keeps you up at night? And most of the people tell me one answer, but I'll let you answer that question and see what you say about it. But what, what would you say would be that one element that's that's always there in the shadows? Well, <laughs> I guess it depends which hat I'm wearing today, right? So if I'm if I'm wearing my hat, the, the CTO hat, it, it's obviously we're in we're in constant competition in a very fluid market where um, you mentioned disruption. Um, anybody can disrupt an industry, right? I, I like to think in our industry. The cost of entry now is getting higher and higher and higher and harder and harder. But, but I'm sure the taxi industry thought that before Uber, and you know, you know, the travel industry thought that before you know Expedia, right? So what keeps me up there is, look, I, I told you that there's a lot of competitors to Snap now. They may not be full products, but they're getting better. They're getting smarter. There's a they're certainly seeing the value in the in the commercial real estate industry. So 
how do I keep Sabal and regions ahead of that curve, which was the tagline for Sabal, making sure that we're constantly providing the best solutions for our customers, right? And and what they need and when they need it, right? That that's the key on the on the CTO side, right? You have to keep up with all the different trends and technology and see how you can move fast, you know, in an ever faster world, how to say faster. If I put my CIO hat on, um, and one of the excitements about moving to regions is, you know, more resources around that infrastructure protection. I think you know, cybersecurity today is out of control, right? You know, we have way too many folks that have unbelievable talents that are wasting them by using them for nefarious reasons, crime or just hacking or just the amount of spam emails I get these days is just out of control. And, you know, it only takes one employee or, you know, one mistake to cause a lot of damage and reputation and security and that sort of thing. So, you know, we spend a lot of time on security and, and it's growing and it's a growing cost to the business where we'd prefer to be doing things that really assist our customers, but we're we're spending all of our time making sure that our customers are protected. And so, you know, I, I know that that's a growing industry and I and I, I look forward to the machine learning and, and AI that goes into those products because they're getting better every day. And the more of that, that we have, the better. So those are really the two things that keep me awake every night. How do we make it better for our customers and be innovative? And how do we make sure we keep the doors closed and locked so we don't have that worry the next day when we wake up? Okay. Excellent. 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 We've been around long enough to see Web 1.0 and we've seen Web 2.0, which is what we're in right now. And uh, what are your thoughts on Web 3.0? So, you know, I, I try to stay away from terms. Um Cloud was another one I always loved. It's always the cloud, the cloud, the cloud. And then you had half the people that thought they were cloud because they were hosting providers and called themselves a cloud, mm -hmm. right? And then, you know, you've got the other people that, you know, regardless. Um, so look, Web 3.0 and the distributed nature of applications, it, it, I believe it's key, but I also don't necessarily believe it's a new thing, right? It's a new incarnation of something, right? So what do I mean by that? Um, Way, way, way back again, um, Bill Gates wrote a book about the digital nervous system, right? And I, and I read that with interest. And then what you don't hear a lot now is the enterprise service bus, right? And the enterprise service bus was developed so that you could plug and play applications into a service bus and exchange data. And the data you were exchanging with other components on that bus didn't necessarily have to know what the component was that they were communicating with, right? So as Web 3.0 and these, these other distributed technologies come out, um, they make perfect sense, right? Because you want to be able to plug and play the best, right? So for example, if at some point I find out there's a component of our SMAP platform where one of these third parties that I've mentioned that are getting better and better every day really show a value way above and beyond what we can build with our staff and internally and not focused on one thing, you know, it would make sense to plug that into the platform and allow the business to take advantage of that advancement, right? that we may not get to because we're focused on some other business process or something else or don't have the resources, right? So I think by being able to plug in different applications in different places and make that universal where we can do it, that'll be key to the future, right? I mean, not everybody's gonna be writing machine learning routine, but if you can plug in a machine learning platform, right? Through the web that you pass data to, it come, does its thing and passes it back to you in a usable format, that's outstanding. It's gonna really advance advance everything we're doing across the board and, and those kind of things i mean i use machine learning right because those those tools are universal they can be used in real estate they can be used in transportation they can be used in medical 
right? And, uh, you know, one of my forays in my background is I was briefly a, a CTO for a predictive analytics startup firm. And so, you know, I understood the power of what we were trying to do with that machine learning. And I, I like to see that. But I also always caution people when I talk about this is that um, I worry about machine learning a little bit um, from the human side, because, for example, um, I always use the, the resume as the example. So if a company says, this is, this is the person I want to hire, here's the qualifications we require, and then they put that into their tool, right? That tool may reject the next Steve Jobs or something because he doesn't match what that algorithm said should match, right? So while machine learning is great, while AI is great, AI is great we, we really need to make sure we don't forget that you know, humans are unpredictable and amazing. And sometimes you can find somebody that just hands down doesn't look like somebody that's going to be great and they'll do fantastic things. And so we have to be careful about um, some of these technologies. But, you know, that emerging Web 3.0 and things like that with the distributed technology, I think is key to the future. I think, uh, you know, where everything's going, um, that, that's going to be a, a big deal coming up. That, that's awesome. One of the podcasts we're going to make in the very near future here, and we a name of our podcast is Humanity and, and Technologies, so when we think about that. And I, I saw a, a piece on uh, Google where they actually have, a uh, artificial intelligence where they had the ability to do a little thinking. Did you have you seen that information? And where it actually had thoughts. And I said, okay, I want to do some more research on that uh, because you're right. We have to be very careful uh, when it actually gets to the part where you know AI can actually think in that capacity. You know. <laughs> so I'm going to embarrass myself a little. I think I don't know. Maybe some of your <laughs> some of your listeners are right there with me. But look. I'm, I'm, I've been a science fiction buff my whole life, right? And let's face it, people ask me, I'm like, why do you read that stuff? Well, because half of it comes true, right? I mean, that's where most of these ideas come from. Some guy thinks something up and next thing you know, we're, we got space shuttles going to the moon or whatever, right? But, mm -hmm. you know, around AI, I'm reading, I'm reading a book now. And, you know, AI has been intertwined in the science fiction for decades, yeah. right? Yep. But the books I'm reading right now, um, the, it's, it's about um, Earth is kind of invaded by this, uh, alien force and then we find out that we partner up with one that saves us but it's not the right one and um, it turns out the ones that saved us are really the bad ones but um, they find this really elder technology that both alien races fighting over us are, are, are searching for and um, the, the, the hero of the story finds this cylindrical object that he says looks just like a beer can and it turns out it's a super advanced AI and the AI is a complete jerk right just has all our slang. He's always making fun of the guy. He calls us all monkeys all the time, right? And I'm laughing because it's so stupid, right? But throughout the book, what happens is the, the main character keeps tripping up the AI by thinking outside what the, the AI, right, is very logical and he knows and he thinks he's through and he calculates everything to the nth degree. But the guy goes, well, what about this? And the AI is like, oh, I didn't, I didn't think about that. Or the AI doesn't communicate because you didn't specifically ask him what you wanted to know in a way that it could interpret, right? So I, I laugh because it's so stupid. And that's why I said I'm a little embarrassed about talking about it because everybody's like, really? I mean, you're running all this technology and you're reading this silly book. But what it reminded me of, again, is no matter how good this stuff gets, and it was kind of to my last point, you know, it doesn't take the human out of the whole thing, right? We can have super smart AIs, and I agree with you. We're starting to talk to them. Look, we've seen some robots now. They're getting, they're getting, <laughs> they're getting pretty good, right? I, I look forward to that stuff. But remember, they're still they're still programmed and learning at the rate they can learn, and you still have to 
be very careful about how you communicate, what you expect out of them, um, and how we treat those things. So, you know, I always laugh because every time I talk about putting more machine learning, for example, in the underwriting process, everybody says, no, you know, we can't, the underwriter think they're going to lose their job. They're not going to lose their job. Right. <laughs> it's still a human element, right? We like to say it here is every property we analyze has a story. And it takes somebody to understand that story. And no matter how much machine learning I put in to help us understand that story, it still takes someone to understand the story, right? And so I think it'll get better, and I am excited to see that. But, you know, I, I don't think I'm on the side of Elon Musk that thinks that all AI is going to kill us and wipe us out. <laughs> but I do understand his point, right? For mm -hmm. sure. Um, mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, so that's where I kind of land on all that. Like quantum computing, there's a lot to think about for the in the future, you know? <laughs> the last question I have for you would be, what advice would you give other CIOs out there today? What, what would you be your words of wisdom that you would actually pass along? What would that be? So uh, this one's a little embarrassing for me too, but you know, I, I do a little consulting on the side as well, mostly around startup today and helping helping folks get going. And one of the one of the things I keep seeing still, even today, is a little bit of a disconnect between the business and technology folks sometimes. And my advice is learn the business first, mm -hmm. um, especially if you got a technical kind of bent or whatever. You you you, you know you pick up technical a little more, but most of the really good peers I see are are very business savvy. Um, and communicate in business sense. And it sounds silly because by now, I always say, if you're still talking about IT and business alignment, you're really out of business already. Um, but I still see it. And, and so, you know, learn to communicate with the business. And so one of the things that's been super successful for me over my career is, and I started very early, is every technology group I took over, I ran it like a business. Um, like a startup, like a business inside the business, right? So even if you're not a startup, even if you're not running your own business, if you take over a department, especially in the technology world, and you run it like a business with your customers that are internal, with budgets and projects that you deliver on and show progress and meet your bottom line and speak in those terms to the stakeholders that are supporting you, you will gain tremendous respect. They will understand what you're trying to do. Your discussion around new innovative ideas and things that you want to attempt will amazingly be so much easier to do. So my advice is learn the business that you're in, learn to run your group as a business and communicate with those business leaders that way. And your life will be way, way, way easier. Wow. <laughs> way easier. <laughs> that, that, that is great, <laughs> great advice there. Great insightfulness. And uh, I really appreciate you taking your time out of your busy day to uh, sit down with me and have a conversation about the uh, world of technology, the word technology today. And even we, we even talked a little bit about the future there a little bit. So I really appreciate you adding that part in there about the AI uh, at the end of it. So thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. And we'll I'd like to invite you back one day again soon. Let's have that conversation about AI and maybe talk a little bit about quantum computing. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Only if I can bring my beer can friend um, All right. you know, again, but thank you. I had a great time. I would enjoy it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from your host, connect with Maurice on LinkedIn at Maurice Hamilton. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.